It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. As we discover our spiritual identity, sometimes God calls us to extreme opposites. In other words, there are characteristics in God that are reflected in us that are on opposite ends of the pole. And the last few weeks, compared to today's episode, is just that very thing. Because I taught on what it is to be the just, which means simply to walk in rightness toward God and toward other people, right attitudes, right beliefs, right treatment of others. And then the next week was on instruments of justice. That's something we're called to do to implement just principles in the treatment of others and in standing for the truth in this world. Then last week, I taught on our calling to be vessels of mercy. Now, this week is going to be an enhancement of that, teaching on what it is to be the merciful, because that is definitely a calling that rests on the children of God. On this end of the pole, we're called to be instruments of justice, On the other end of the pole, we're called to be the merciful. And they balance each other out because mercifulness can be carried to an extreme that is erroneous and non-biblical, where you have mercy on things that God considers to be an abomination. And I think something we need to remind ourselves of is to hate the sin, but love the sinner. And mercy will cause us to do that. Now, let me just read to you the description of this program because it really sums things up. Mercy is one of God's most wonderful attributes. He named himself that way when he appeared to Moses in the mount. And when Moses was hidden down in the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passed by, he heard God proclaiming his own name. And he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. So it was the first word God used to describe himself. And it should be the first word we use to describe ourselves. Or we're not really walking with God and replicating his ministry as he walked in the earth. Because, see, he left, and he said, now you occupy till I come. So if his ministry was ruled by mercy, and we're going to see that it was, then our outreach to the world, our actions and reactions to people in the world should be ruled by mercy. Mercy is one of God's most wonderful attributes. Without it, we would be irretrievably lost in darkness and deception. Once we receive God's mercy, though, Thank God for the day when it happened. Our hearts should burst with gratitude to express that same attribute to others. And in a sense, we're paying it forward and just reaping more mercy in return. This only makes life better for you and for everyone around you. 
It springs out of our inheritance calling to be vessels of mercy because that title for God's people implies mercy being poured into us. That's from God to us. All men are vessels. Some are vessels of wrath. Others are vessels of mercy. But all men are vessels. In other words, we have the capacity of being filled. But one thing you need to know about the kingdom of God is God never fills you without the expectation that that river that flows into you will then flow out of you to others. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he said, the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so the water of life, which contains his mercy, flows into us to quench our spiritual thirst. But then it becomes in us a well of water springing up and overflowing into the lives of others. Three things that will cause you to walk in mercy. Number one, look more closely at yourself. Don't just see the good stuff. You like to envision yourself in a certain role with certain attributes, with certain good points. But go ahead and see what God has rescued you from what you've plodded through, the mud you've gotten stuck in in your life, and how God rescued you and put your feet up on a rock, that will cause you to have more mercy because you'll realize all the more that it was necessary for you to have it. So number one, look more closely at yourself. Number two, look more deeply into the big picture in people's lives. Maybe they act the way they've acted because... They went through something that damaged them greatly. And if you just judge them over the actions or judge them over the reactions, you may not see the causes that are the root of that activity in a person's life or those characteristics in a person's life. Then number three, the third thing that will cause you to have more mercy is to look at Jesus's example and worshipfully try to imitate him. Because that's what we're all called to do, to be like him. I'm not your role model. You're not someone else's role model in a maximum sense. Certainly in a partial sense, that's true. But primarily, Jesus is the role model for all of us. A powerful example of someone who fills this role of being the merciful is a wonderful Christian author, Elizabeth Elliot, who was married to Jim Elliot who died at a very young age because he was martyred when he tried to reach a cannibalistic tribe in South America called the Aka Indians, who lived way out in the jungles. They distrusted anyone that came into their territory. He only wanted to help them, but feeling threatened, they killed him as well as several others that were in that first missionary party. Now, why did I say that mercy was demonstrated in Elizabeth? Because she went back to that same tribe that killed her husband and ended up bringing a tremendous move of God among them. God used her in amazing ways, amazing ways, to the point where the very man who thrust a spear through her husband later on traveled with her son to talk, to preach, to teach about what the mercy of God can do. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? That's the kind of mercy that we're all called to. 
Now, let me define what mercy is. Number one, mercy is compassion shown especially to an offender or someone of criminal behavior. Now, pause. Pause. Think for a moment about people who have offended you. Have you shown them mercy? Have you shown them mercy by not talking about them when you could have talked about them? I believe that's the case quite often. I believe there's a lot of uh, Christians around me that I've seen show that kind of mercy, including Elizabeth, my wife, who refused to talk about certain individuals that were very harmful and hurtful toward her. That's mercy. Mercy is compassion shown especially to an offender or someone of criminal behavior. Number two, mercy is pity shown to the hurting and the harmed, the destitute and the broken. If you can see people who are broken and ruined and wrecked in life and not feel pity toward them, you need to pray for an infilling of mercy. Now, we are the new temple of God. I'm sure if you've studied our identity as sons and daughters of God, you'll agree with me that now God's passion is not living in a building made with hands, but you are the temple of God, little children. And the body of Christ worldwide makes up a corporate temple, and we are the living stones in that temple. God loves filling people because an inanimate building cannot love him back. An inanimate building cannot reflect his character. An inanimate building cannot represent him in this world. It's such a better plan for us to be his temple. Well, why would I bring that in if I'm talking about our calling to be the merciful? Because the most important place in the entire temple of God, of all that space that was sacred, the most important place in that space was behind the veil, in the Holy of Holies, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That was what the whole building was a shrine to celebrate. And that was God's representative throne on earth. It was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Now, the temple had three parts, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. So if you are the new temple of God, there must be three parts to you. And there is. The outer court is the flesh part that everyone sees. The holy place is the soul. But the holy of holies is your regenerated spirit. The part that God dwells in, that's been created in righteousness and true holiness. But if the earthly temple was a shrine for the Ark of the Covenant and the the crown of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat, which was God's representative throne on earth, then I would dare to say that now God enthrones himself in every believer. And in your regenerated spirit is the new Ark of the Covenant because you're covenantally connected to God and he enthrones himself in you. And if that be true, the the new mercy seat is your heart. And God enthrones himself in your heart to express mercy 
to the hurting, the pain, those who have been destroyed by life, those who have been their own worst enemies in life. And you're called to be the means by which God expresses his dominion in this world in canceling out their sin. I believe in that kind of cancel culture. Canceling sin, canceling people's past, canceling the curse, canceling Satan's dominion in people's lives, canceling sin's dominion in people's lives. So view yourself that way. I am the new temple of God, and I have in my spirit the Ark of the Covenant. And on the lid of that Ark is the mercy seat, where the glory of God resides. You always find glory and mercy together. And if you want God to move gloriously in your life, if you want God to move more gloriously than he has in the past, try expressing more mercy than you have in the past. Because mercy and glory go together. That's something to think about. Now we get to the verse that actually houses this name for God's people. It's the fifth beatitude is found in Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, every one of the Beatitudes, <laughs> the Beatitudes, yeah, we've got a lot of Beatitudes, and we need to replace them with Beatitudes. That would preach. Uh, but every one of the Beatitudes starts with a promise and ends with a promise, and in between the two is a condition. It's like a sandwich, a nourishing spiritual sandwich that has two promises hinged to one condition. And this one falls into that description because it starts out with blessed. That's a promise. The word blessed means happy, supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, highly favored of God. Now think of that. To be blessed means to be happy, but much more than that, it means to be highly favored of God. So God said, if you want favor in your life, if you want happiness in your life, be merciful. Some of the most unhappy people I've ever met in my life are bitter people who cannot forgive, who cannot let go of the past. They ought to play that Disney song over and over and over again all day long. Let it go, let it go, let it go until it gets ingrained in their spirit. Let it go. You're not imprisoning that person that you can't forgive in the memory of that person's past. You're imprisoning yourself in bitterness and depression and hatred and lack of forgiveness. And when you shut down on forgiveness, you can't be forgiven because Jesus said, forgiven, you shall be forgiven. So the two are hinged together. It's very important. So Blessed means happy, supremely happy, spiritually prosperous, enriched with benefits, highly favored of God. It's like a funnel pouring all of that down into your life when you just decide, you know what? I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to show mercy to that hurting person. And instead of just walking by someone who doesn't have food or is in a hard place in his or her life, I'm going to send an offering. I'm going to express mercy. And then God said, if you do that, the next promise is you obtain mercy. 
Now, I think it's very interesting to see where that beatitude falls in the eight that Jesus gave. Remember, it starts out with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Then number five, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I learned something when I inspected the sequence there, because you cannot circumvent mercy to get to a pure heart from righteousness. Righteousness is a necessary step. And first you recognize your unrighteousness. That's what poverty of spirit is. You recognize you are bankrupt morally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You are without hope, helpless. Your life is a disaster without God. You have to come to grips with that conclusion. And then when you realize, without him, I can do nothing, then you step through the portal, so to speak, and you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you recognize your source. You realize how empty you are without him and how full you are with him. That's poverty of spirit. Then you mourn over the sin of the past. You grieve over the errors of yesterday. Then you meekly submit to God and you meekly reach out to release others from their debt of sin against you. And then you come to a place in your life where you can hunger and thirst after righteousness and actually start living a righteous life. But if you're not careful, religion always does this, you will move from righteousness that is approved of heaven into self-righteousness, which is disapproved. And so God made sure that after you hunger after righteousness and thirst after righteousness and achieve righteousness, that the next step in your spiritual evolution is a merciful heart. Otherwise, you'll just become rigidly religious and critical of others. But if mercy is the next step in your journey, then the sixth beatitude becomes a reality. You have a pure heart because it's righteousness and mercy mixed together. You can't have mercy by itself or you become too lenient. You accept anything, no matter how corrupt it is, and just say, well, judge not lest you be judged. That's a wrong reaction. But then on the opposite end of the pole, you can also become so self-righteous, you become a judge to everyone in the world, and no one can measure up to your standard. So in between righteousness and a pure heart, you always find mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, just like blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because when you're merciful to others, it just opens up abundance to you. Try it. Try it this week with people close to you in small ways. Now, you're probably thinking of people who have offended you in great ways. Well, what about people that offend you on a day-to-day -day basis that you love and they love you? Maybe your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. And something they say just is grating against you. You just, and it builds up in you all day long. Well, do something for them. Conquer that by going out of your way to do something for that person and express mercy in the process and see if it doesn't release you. Now, let me give you a couple of promises 
2 Samuel 22:26 says to God, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. And then I love Proverbs 11, verse 17, that says, the merciful man does good for his own soul. Hey, do yourself good today and take mercy with you out into the world. Now, I want to close with one of the most mysterious mercy passages in the Bible. There's a lot more I'd like to say about mercy, but I think it would be good just to bring this talk to a close with something that Jesus quoted out of the Old Testament. It's Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So he's balancing out relationship as compared to religion. He was saying, you can go through all the rituals, you can offer up all the sacrifices, but I'd rather that you knew me, that you knew me because you're a prayerful person and you commune with God and you become like God and you understand who I am and who you are. He said, I'd rather you be filled with the knowledge of God than participate in all the sacrifices you can present on an altar. Of course, that's Old Testament in application. And then the beginning of the verse, God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So in other words, you can be very committed and faithful to all the religious rules and be a hard shell person. And God said, I would much rather you show mercy than to have all the rules in perfect order. He's not saying discard the rules, but he's saying, I'd rather see mercy in you. Well, let me give you the two examples. Jesus first quoted it in Matthew chapter 9 in the home of Matthew the tax collector. You couldn't find a Jew that would be any more despised than Matthew, a sellout, a traitor. He's collecting money for the Romans. He's getting rich off of his own people. I guarantee you, no one liked Matthew. And Jesus passed by him and had the gall to say, follow me. I'm sure that shocked the living daylights out of his other disciples. Not that guy. That one joining our group? Are you kidding? Well, he left all and followed Jesus. And that night, Jesus had a feast with Matthew in his home, and all the disciples were there. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. We're bad about that in our churches. We want everyone to come to our church who's already healthy spiritually so that we can have a really pleasant atmosphere in the church. But the church is supposed to be a hospital for the messed up people. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Here, he's talking to religious leaders in Israel, respected men in roles of leadership. And he says, you haven't learned a fundamental principle yet. You go and learn what this means. And he quoted Hosea 6.6, 6, where God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Then Jesus concluded by saying, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How committed are we 
to reaching, quote-unquote, sinners. We rant and rave and rail on Facebook about this group and that group and people of the liberal side and people who are for uh, LBG uh, agendas and and the uh, cancel culture and the woke culture and all. And we blast and fume and fuss. But wait a second. The body of Christ should be reaching out in love, mercifully sharing that there's a better way. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. We need to call people to repentance, but we need to do so in a way that they recognize we love them because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Next, Matthew 12, three chapters later. Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields, and it was the Sabbath day, and they were hungry, and they hadn't eaten anything. And so they began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees saw it and were enraged. Your disciples are desecrating the Sabbath. Wait a second. There was nothing in Moses' law that said don't pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath day. They were just not supposed to work. And isn't that carrying something God said to an extreme God never said, which people are guilty of doing all the time. He said uh, in this passage to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, not for those who were with him, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And yet I say to you, in this place there is one greater than the temple, because the priests on the Sabbath day would be working all over the temple area in order to take care of those who would attend whatever religious services took place there at the temple. So they were exempt And Jesus is pointing that out, that they break the Sabbath and they're blameless. But there's one greater than the temple because the golden temple that people visited every Sabbath day could not compare with the beauty of the Son of God. God manifested in the flesh. And then he said, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So he really applied it to two different kinds of situations. Ultra-religious people who thought their rules were more important than taking care of simple needs that people had. They were hungry. They needed to eat the grain. And then also not labeling people sinners, where you exclude them from the possibility of change. Anyone can change. Some of the most corrupt people I've ever met changed and became some of the most dedicated saints I've ever met. God can miraculously do that when mercy enters the equation. And so we're called to be the mercy giving people, the mercy manifesting people, the mercy expressing people in this world because Jesus isn't here anymore in the flesh, and so he's depending on us to represent him by acting and reacting like he did. One last thing about those scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, 
Jesus balanced it out. It was one of the woe statements in Matthew 23, where he pronounced woes on the spiritual leaders. And he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done and not leave the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So while you go about your day today or tonight or wherever you may be, ask somebody every now and then, have you swallowed a camel? Or are you straining out a gnat? And they'll say, what are you talking about? And talk to them about mercy. And let's fill this world with that attribute of God. I hope you've enjoyed this particular episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. Now walk in it and make it a reality in your life. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.